Rajim Yesterday we finished Daris of the first para of the Holy Quran and as I described yesterday the divisions that are made of the different paras in the 30 parts of the Holy Quran is something that was done afterwards but still it is a milestone and when we come to any milestone in the Holy Quran it is a point to pause and reflect also since this is at the beginning of Ramazan. So before going into the second part of the Holy Quran, out of the 30 parts and before beginning that daris, I'd like to go over some points that we've gone over before on the etiquettes of recitation of the Holy Quran. On the month of Ramazan, there's a lot of emphasis on reciting the Holy Quran, on increasing the amount of recitation that we do on a daily basis. And so also naturally what results is a desire to improve the quality of that recitation. Also, a lot of questions come up as to why, you know, certain questions about uh, the way in which we should properly recite the Holy Quran in which we can gain the best benefit. So I'll go over a few points that hopefully can help us from the teachings of the Holy Quran in a hadith and Hazrat Masih Salam and his Khulafa on proper etiquettes of Quran recitation. The first point is something that the Holy Quran teaches us itself which is that when the Holy Qur'an is recited, give ear to it and keep silence, that you may be shown mercy. Allah Almighty says in the Holy Qur'an, وَإِذَا كُرِيَ الْقُرْآنُ فَاسْتَمِيُّ لَهُ وَأَنْسِتُوا لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ In chapter 7, verse 205. Now this verse describes one of the psychological aspects of respect that we are to have for the Holy Qur'an when we recite it. This essentially goes back to the philosophy of respect. That when we hear anyone speaking who is an individual that we respect, and of course it's disrespectful to talk over them, to talk at the same time. Uh, many times this is something that we remind our children of as well. When they start speaking to us while we are speaking, when adults are speaking, then we tell them to, to remain silent and wait until we have finished what it is that we have to discuss. One aspect of this is because we don't like interruptions. But another reason why we do this is also to teach our children respect that to interrupt someone or to speak over someone is a type of disrespect. Now when it comes to reciting the Holy Qur'an, when a person is speaking the words of Allah Almighty as they were revealed, if other people are in the room ignoring it or talking over it, then it takes away from the respect that we have for those words in our heart. It's a subtle thing. It's not something that somebody speaking at the same time is going to disrespect Allah or the Holy Qur'an in any way. The real reason is for it to establish magnitude and gravity within our own hearts for the value of the words of the Holy Qur'an. So when we remain silent, when we hear the Qur'an being recited, the purpose is for it to have a psychological effect of creating respect within our hearts, of having gravity for it. When we go into the philosophy of respect in its real purpose in society and in life, it is basically to add weight to the words that someone says. If someone who we respect says something and then someone who we have no respect for says the exact same thing, then the effect that those words have on us is completely the opposite. Even though the message is exactly the same. This is something that we can see probably happening in our society a lot. Now, there's so much division in the political atmosphere that on one side, the supporters of our president add gravity and treat everything that our president says with respect. They defend it. And on the other hand, every, effect, every attempt is made to disrespect it, to make fun of it, to make a mockery out of it so that no one takes anything that he has to, say, has to say seriously after that. When mockery and disrespect of what a person has to say goes to an extreme, 
then nothing that that person says is taken seriously. Then the words that they say has no effect whatsoever left anymore. So respect has to do with the effect that our words have on other people. And when it comes to the Holy Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala does not benefit from us respecting Him. He does not need us to show Him any respect or His words any respect. But when we look lightly at the words of Allah Ta'ala, then when we try to benefit from those teachings, then they have very little effect on us. So remaining silent when we hear the recitation of the Holy Qur'an is important from that perspective. Another verse wherein we are taught etiquettes of the Holy Qur'an is in chapter 4, verse 141, wherein Allah Ta'ala says that, وَقَدْ نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْكِتَابِ أَنْ نِزَا سَمِيَتُمْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ يُكْفَرُ بِهَا وَيُسْتَهْزَأُ بِهَا and he has already revealed to you in the book that when you hear the signs of Allah being denied and mocked at, sit not with them until they engage in a talk other than that, for in that case you would be like them. In this verse of the Holy Quran, that same point is described that when a person allows disrespect to happen in their presence and they lose respect for the Holy Qur'an. This is no different than if people started to make fun of our own parents and of course we wouldn't want to sit with them anymore. If a, person, if a person's parents or his own mother was being made fun of in a gathering and you continued sitting there as if nothing was happening, we would consider that person shameless. We would conclude that that person has no self-respect and respect for his own parents. So when the verses of the Holy Qur'an are being mocked at, for us to remain sitting there just to be complacent, and for us to pretend like it doesn't offend us, just to fit in. That's something that takes away from the purity of heart that Allah Ta'ala wishes to establish in the seriousness with which we take the words of the Holy Qur'an. There's a waqiyah of Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Abul that also illustrates this, and there are many other waqiyat. Once it is narrated in hayat nur that Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al saw that one of his students or a child, um, you know, while he was studying, had placed an ink pot on top of the Holy Qur'an. And on this, Hazrat Khalifa Abul became angry and began advising that person that respect of the Holy Qur'an is extremely important. This is an etiquette that we should keep in mind. Sometimes we, don't, we are not mindful of this. When there is a copy of the Holy Qur'an, then nothing should be placed on top of it. And it should be placed on top of anything else that is there. It seems like a small point, but it comes back to that point of respect that we wish to establish in our hearts. Then also there is a narration in hayat nur that once someone had placed envelopes inside of a Holy Qur'an just to store them, something that we probably commonly do with other books. If there's a book sitting there, then we'll just use it as a type of storage point for envelopes or different papers that we need just because we know it'll have safekeeping there. But as the Khalifa Abul Razila, one who advised that remember that the Qur'an is makhdum, the Qur'an is there for us to serve it. It is not there to be of service for our small and trivial needs. So when we place envelopes and we use the Holy Qur'an as a book for different minor tasks that we have, then that also takes away from the respect that we have for it within our hearts. So these are some points on the psychological etiquettes of respect that the Holy Qur'an and Islam has taught us about uh, respect for the Holy Qur'an. Now the second aspect is emotional. Here we see that to improve our recitation of the Holy Qur'an and our benefit from the words of the Holy Qur'an, there are many points on emotional respect that we are to show to the Holy Qur'an. One is found in a hadith where the Holy Prophet said that that beautify the Holy Qur'an with your voices. Also it is found in another narration that the Holy Prophet said that the Holy Qur'an descended in a state of sadness, so recite it also in a state of sadness. 
And Hazrat Masih Maud said that the Holy Quran should be recited in a beautiful tune. In fact, it is narrated in Hadith that one of the companions of the Holy Prophet وسلم, I believe it was Hazrat Abu Musa Ashari, had a very beautiful singing voice. And the Holy Prophet وسلم, enjoyed hearing the Holy Quran recited by him. So reciting the Holy Quran in a voice that is beautiful and in a tune that is beautiful, according to our capacity, is also part of the etiquettes of recitation of the Holy Quran. And this is also something that comes back to an emotional, psychological effect that we want to have that increases the effect that these words have on our hearts. Now we can take the example of ordinary poetry, any kind of poetry. If we take a poem, whether it is in English or Urdu or Arabic or whatever the language is, and we just read it off in a monotone voice, then it has very little effect on the hearts of the people who are listening to it and the heart of the person who is saying it himself. But when that same poetry is recited in a beautiful tune, in a voice that expresses the emotions that are being conveyed in that poem, then it becomes a completely different piece of work. It has a completely different effect on our hearts as we listen to it and as we recite it. So this shows that the way in which we deliver something, the way in which we recite it, has a great effect on the way it affects our heart. Now the Holy Quran is a book which seeks to affect our hearts. That is its main purpose. Its message is essentially there not to give us dry doctrines or anything like that. When we look at the actual wording in the verses of the Holy Quran, we see, as has been pointed out by our Khulafa, that the purpose of the writer of this book is extremely clear that he wishes for us to fall in love with the writer of this book. No matter what the subject that's being discussed, no matter how technical it is, no matter how dry it might be on the surface, Allah Ta'ala always brings it back to His attributes of beauty and to those points about His greatness that He wishes for us to fall in love with. So this is the central purpose of the Holy Qur'an. It is a book that is made to appeal to our hearts. It is made to have a powerful effect on our spirituality. So it is only natural that such a book should use every means that is available to affect our hearts, to facilitate the passage of that message directly into our soul and into our hearts. And so for that reason, to recite it in a beautiful tune, according to our capacity, is also a part of the correct etiquette of the recitation of the Holy Qur'an. Now obviously, everyone does not have a good singing voice. Some people have average, some people have good, and some people have a downright poor singing voice. But the least that we can do is to recite it within the confines of our voice. A good tune does not have to be something that ha where, where a person hits every single note that is available to the human vocal cords. A good tune has to do with the capacity of that person. Even a person who has a very good voice, if he starts trying to hit notes that are outside of his capacity, it's going to be a terrible tune. It's, nobody's going to want to listen to it. It's cringeworthy. In the same way, a person who does not have as good of a voice, but he remains within the circle of the notes that he can hit in his vocal capacity, it sounds as a beautiful tune, it is a good tune. So a good tune is not limited to the vocal capacity that we have, it just has to do with understanding our own voice. A person who has a poor voice, a singing voice, he can only hit a few notes of different tunes within his vocal capacity. If he stays within them, then his tune will be beautiful from his perspective, from the perspective that we hear it at, and the sincerity with which he is singing the, the, the tune of the Holy Quran. On the other hand, someone who has a great voice but concentrates only on making it into a type of song almost, who concentrates not on the message but trying to come up with the best possible and most complex tune, it won't sound good. So it is, it is the intention that really matters, and that is what we should keep in mind. After the emotional effect that we seek to 
uh, have with the Holy Quran. The next point is the spiritual effect and the spiritual etiquettes of reciting the Holy Quran which can benefit us. One point that is narrated in this regard is a point that we learned from Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih al-Abul where he narrates that whenever he recites the Holy Quran, he says that we should recite it as if it was revealed to us personally. So he gives the example that when we read any story of the Holy Quran, for, for example, the story of Hazrat Adam salam, we should ask ourselves how the lessons in this story apply to us specifically. Any commandment of the Holy Quran applied to ourselves specifically, as if it was revealed to us and for us specifically. For example, when our parents tell us a story, when parents tell their children a story, they tell their children that story with a specific purpose that that lesson will be of benefit to that child. There are countless stories that we hear all the time that have lessons in them. There are Aesop's fables, so many different types of stories. And each story carries an individual lesson that's there for us. If a person distances themselves from that story and does not gain anything from it personally, then the whole point of that story is missed. Then it's just there for our amusement and nothing more. So the stories of the Holy Quran are not there as asatiru al-awwaleen. They are not there as simple, simple stories of the ancients. If we are not reading it with a perspective of gaining personal benefit from it, then the wisdom of those stories of the Holy Qur'an is not being fulfilled. So when we read any story, whether it's a story of Hazrat Musa, Hazrat Adam, Hazrat Sulaiman, whatever it is, we should ask ourselves, what is the lesson that Allah Ta'ala wishes to teach us in these stories? And the Holy Qur'an is a book of principles. We can always find some principle or the other that is of relevance to us in the lessons that we need to learn. And this applies not just to the stories, but every commandment and every point that is made. Also, it is narrated about Hazrat Masima that he would make notes in his copy of the Holy Quran as a reminder of the do's and don'ts of the Holy Quran. Anytime he went over a commandment, he would make a note of it. That this is something that the Holy Quran commands and he would make a note of this is something that a person must do and this is a per something that a person must abstain from. When we recite the Holy Quran from this perspective, it also gives us a new angle from which to see the Holy Quran. Again, coming back to the, those, that aspect of the Holy Quran, which is the stories of prophets. When a person reads those stories from this perspective, that is there a do and don't in this story? What are we being told to do in this verse and what are we being told not to do in this verse? That opens a new aspect of tafsir and a new aspect of commentary for that verse. So this is part of the spiritual etiquettes of reciting the Holy Quran. As we recite the verses of the Holy Quran, we are to keep these points in mind. So these are three basic points the psychological, the emotional, and the spiritual aspects of etiquettes of recitation of the Holy Qur'an. If we keep all of these in mind, then gradually and slowly, the benefits of reciting the Holy Qur'an will slowly become more and more impactful on us. Psychologically, when we show outward respect for the Holy Qur'an, whether it is the physical copy of the Holy Qur'an, or the sound of the Holy Qur'an, by remaining silent and by showing respect to the physical book. On its surface, it is a physically meaningless act, but in its psychological sense, it is powerful. Emotionally, reciting it in a beautiful tune to have a strong effect on our heart. And spiritually, by asking ourselves what is the benefit that we get from each and every verse of the Holy Qur'an. Now, another important question which arises is about the order of the verses of the Holy Qur'an. Now, many times this question arises, the Holy Qur'an is a very unique book in the way that it is organized. Any other book that we see that is written by man, by a human being, it is organized in a very chapter-wise sense, subject-wise. Well, for example, we see the books of fiqh or any book, it says that now we're going to discuss ablution. Now we'll discuss prayer. This chapter talks about hajj and umrah and the etiquettes of that and the technicalities of that. Everything is divided into separate subjects. 
But the words of Allah Ta'ala are very different. They carry a different purpose and so their organization is different. In fact, one of the things that is interesting about the objections that Christians make against the organization of the Holy Quran is that they say that the Holy Quran is very confused in its order, in the way that it is presented. However, what's interesting is that when we look at the New Testament, the book of the Christians themselves, the only book in the New Testament which claims to be revelation from God Almighty, the book of revelations, its order and its presentation is almost exactly the same as the way the Holy Quran is presented. The divine language remains the same. But the other books of the New Testament which were written by human beings, which do not attribute themselves to being revelation from God Almighty, but were things that people put together afterwards as historical documents or as letters, apparently, um, apparently inspired by the Holy Spirit, whether that's true or not is a separate subject. But those are organized in the way a normal man-made document would be organized. Any person who was writing a brief biography of a person would write it as, any, as, as Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and John have done, the way any ordinary human being would do. But the book of Revelation in the Bible is completely different. So when, whenever Allah Ta'ala has revealed himself throughout history, it has been in this style, in this unique and powerful literary style, which is used in the Holy Quran. Now, the style of the Holy Quran is essentially there to appeal to our emotions. Because again, the Holy Quran is there for spiritual reformation. It has to appeal to our hearts. An ordinary book which just seeks to, for example, describe to us the technicalities of Hajj and Umrah, it's just there to convey to us information. It's not trying to affect our hearts at the same time. So it organizes its book of teachings by chapter. But on the other hand, we see with the Holy Quran, when it goes into talking about, for example, Umrah and Hajj, and it talks about Safa and Marwa, and the way that we observe this particular rite of pilgrimage, it starts it off in Surah Al-Baqarah by talking about loss. And so on and so forth. It talks about how Allah Ta'ala will try us with all different types of loss and hardship and, so on, and, and all different types of suffering and fear and grief. But Allah Ta'ala reminds us that those who seek Allah Ta'ala's help with patience and prayer, and those who whenever a hardship overtakes them, they remind themselves that we belong to Allah and to Him do we return, they are the ones that are truly guided. Allah Ta'ala sets the spiritual context of trials, and then He goes into the subject of Safa and Marwa, of this particular rite of pilgrimage. Before going into pilgrimage in the description of this particular aspect, it describes to us why it is that that rite of pilgrimage was assigned to us. The story of Hazrat Hajira radiallahu anha and how she had to bear so much suffering and hardship and loss and had to completely submit to the will of Allah Ta'ala. And that state that she was in at the time of Safa and Marwa when she was running between those two mountains, that condition of heart is something that Allah Ta'ala first creates with its teachings on steadfastness and patience. And then it goes into the subject of the rites of pilgrimage. So this is the wisdom of the organization of the Holy Quran. It seeks to teach us a wisdom and to bring us closer to Allah Ta'ala with every single teaching. Whether it has to do with teaching us something about inheritance. Whether it has to do with teaching us about ablution. When Allah Ta'ala talks about ablution, he introduces it with the subject of spiritual purity. When Allah Ta'ala talks about observing prayers, He introduces it with the philosophy and the emotions attached with submission to Allah Ta'ala, of bowing before Him and of submitting to Him. So when we read the Holy Quran, we should read it as if it is a conversation that we are having with Allah Almighty. When we are having a conversation with someone, the subject matter does not organize itself according to chapters. It is spontaneous. 
And it follows the communication that we have between the two hearts of those two people. When we are reading poetry from a purely literary sense of the word, in any language, we approach it from a different perspective. We approach it from our hearts. And we don't expect a poem to be divided into chapters of when these couplets are going to address this subject and these couplets are going to stop here and then go into that subject. That's not how poetry is organized. Poetry flows from one couplet to the other and it changes subjects in a fluid way, which is changing subjects without a person even realizing that it has happened because the two subjects are connected with an emotion of the heart that is sought to be pulled at. So this is the way in which a person should approach the Holy Qur'an as well. When we can approach secular literature from the perspective of our hearts, then we can also approach spiritual literature from that perspective, especially when the whole purpose of spiritual literature is to appeal to the emotions of our hearts. So these are some etiquettes that we can remember and some points that may benefit us in recitation of the Holy Qur'an. As we recite the Holy Qur'an, we should strive not just for quantity but for quality. Quantity is obviously a good thing. It is a very good intention to make that I'm going to try and recite more of the Holy Qur'an than I ordinarily do. But also, that can only benefit us if we improve the quality with which we recite the Holy Qur'an and if we reflect on what it is that we are reciting and how we can best benefit from those words that Allah Ta'ala has sent for our guidance. So now if there's any questions on what we've covered today, then we can address them. Okay, so the question is that you know, if we approach the Holy Qur'an from a spiritual perspective and not from the way that we approach secular literature, then how do we do that very difficult task of changing that mindset and shifting those gears to be able to understand the Holy Qur'an? Is that the question? Um, yeah, sure. Okay. Now, if I go off in another direction, you can let me know. So the, when I say that we have to change gears in the sense that secular literature is organized differently, I, what I mean is that most literature and books that we look at are organized in that way, in a very chapter-wise um, you know, way in which everything is organized just to convey information to us and to organize it in a, in a very human way. But that doesn't mean that in secular literature we find no precedence of the style that is used in the Holy Qur'an. Because after all, Allah Ta'ala has created us in His image, and those spiritual capacities that a human being has, we also use in our secular work as well. And that's why I give the example of poetry. You know, when we read human poetry, which is a part of secular study of literature. It's a very different type of study. When we enter into a poetry class or a literature class, the way we approach it is very different than we approach any other type of book. And that's why reading poetry is so difficult. You know, a book, an ordinary book is something that a person can read very quickly. A person can read 20, 30, 40 pages in, uh, you know, in one hour. We learn to skim read. You know, these are all things that we are taught to take in information as quickly as possible. When we read articles, news articles, things, random things that people send us, we learn to skim. We want to get through the information as quickly as possible. But when it comes to poetry, there a person has to pause. There is no pride in saying that I read 40 pages of poetry in one hour. 
that means that the person hasn't even appreciated what it is that they are reading. So when we approach human literature of poetry by completely changing the gear in our mind and then approaching it from a perspective of depth, of reflection, and of emotion, so that is, gives us a type of, um, you know, an, a, a way of helping us to, to then approach spiritual scriptures in that way. Because spirituality is directly associated with the heart and the emotions of the heart and so I think that's one aspect of uh, secular study of literature that can help us to an extent in studying the Holy Quran. So it's not something completely foreign. You know, it's not like, um, you know, what people, you know, I keep coming back to Christianity where Christians say that, you know, the concept of Trinity is completely outside of comprehension, don't even try to understand it. You know, it's just a kind of weak excuse of explaining something that doesn't make sense in the first place. So if we were to say with the Holy Quran that its order and the way that it is organized is something that is so transcendent that don't even bother trying to understand it and just read it for what it is, that would also be a weak and, and, and inadequate answer. The Holy Quran is there for us. It is there to appeal to our minds, our souls. It should be something that is easy to read. So we, that, that's one aspect that we can do. We can approach it from that perspective that Allah Ta'ala has created that poetic nature within us. And much of the Holy Quran is poetry as well. And to read it from that perspective is a good starting point. Mm. Does that answer the question? Oh. Okay, so if there's no other questions, and inshallah tomorrow's daris will begin with part two of the Holy Quran, um, continuing from Surah Al-Baqarah, and uh, inshallah we'll begin on the weekdays after Salatul Asr, which is at 5.30. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Ali Muhammad, wa barik wa sallim innaka hamidun majeed.